Good morning and welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. We're so grateful for all of you to join us as we worship our triune God this morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whether you're here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio, or watching online, we're glad that you've joined us this morning. A couple announcements to share with you before we get started. Uh, thank you, Sharon, for the beautiful prelude this morning. The rose on the altar is in honor of Jim and Bev Reinecke, who will be celebrating 60 years of marriage on June 30th. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Junior and senior high Bible study starts today. Bible study will be at 1 p.m. in Tori's backyard. Bring a lawn chair and your Bible. All 7th through 12th graders, 12th grade students are welcome today. There are other announcements in your bulletin. I encourage you to check those out when you have the time. At this point in the service, I invite you to stand with me as as I read our call to worship from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I invite you to stand and remain standing with us as we sing our praise song this morning, O the Blood. Yeah. 
But God demonstrated his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Revelations 12, 11 says, They, meaning his church, believers, overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink to death. He has made us victorious church. This time we invite our children forward for children's chat. And as they come forward, take a moment to greet your neighbor. like you guys stayed up a little too late watching fireworks last night. But then I slept till eight. You slept till eight? Lucky. It's not fair. Um, so, did you guys get to watch fireworks last night? Yeah. yeah. Were they so cool? Yeah, and guess what? I got to spin my own tail and guess what? And what? I got popcorn. You got popcorn? No, carrot corn. Oh my goodness. Wow, that sounds like a great night. Okay, so I have a question for you. Has anyone ever given you like a special job to do? Has your parents ever given you something really special that only you got to do? I'm sure they have, right? Parents give us special jobs. Sometimes they give us jobs like chores, and those are not super fun, but sometimes they give us really special jobs to do. So did you know that God gave Jesus a really big job to do? What was his job, do you know? Die on the cross. That's a really big job, isn't it? So the Bible, we're going to not before we're going to talk about Jesus's life before he gets to the cross today um, and the job that he was sent to do. And the Bible says that Jesus returned to Galilee and everyone in the countryside had heard about him. Okay, and so he went to into the synagogue and he stood up and he started teaching there. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is with me, and he has given me the job to tell the good news to the poor. He sent me to tell the prisoners that they can be free and the blind can see again and the oppressed that they can be free and tell everyone that that God is with us. And when Jesus was done talking, he sat down and he told all the people that all the Old Testament scriptures were complete because of him. So everything that they had been taught, everything they had learned was now complete because Jesus was here. And you know, for a lot of people, people, they were waiting for God to send someone to save them, right? They were waiting for God to send Jesus and Jesus had finally come and he was going to do the job that God had gave him to do. So let's talk a little bit more about this. He said that he's come to set prisoners free and make blind see. So, you know, when the Bible talks about setting prisoners free, 
doesn't mean that he's setting people free from jail. It, said, it means that he's setting people free from their sin, because their sin separates us from God, right? And so Jesus came, and he died on the cross, right? So that we could be set free from our sins, and so that we can have a relationship with him, right? And then it said that Jesus makes the blind see. So when you're blind, you can't see, right? And there's a lot of, there's a couple stories in scripture where Jesus actually healed a blind person. He healed their eyes so they could see. But did you know that Jesus heals our eyes too? Sometimes we can't see him. Sometimes our sin has gotten in the way of that. And so Jesus heals our eyes, right, by setting us free from sin. And he helps us to see the truth, right? He helps us to see the truth about who God is and what he, how he wants us to live in relationship with him. And so Jesus had a really big job, right? Really, really big job. But, and his job wasn't easy and it cost him his life. But do you think he'd do it all over again for us? Yeah, he would because he loves us that much. But did you know that you have a special job now too? If you know Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what? It's your job to start telling people about him. It's your job to start saying, hey, you know what? Jesus set me free from my sin. I have a relationship with him, and you can too. And that's our special job to do now, okay? So this week, I want you to keep your eyes open and ask Jesus to help you to, to tell people about him. I want you to see if there's anybody that comes into maybe like a practice or something that you know that doesn't know Jesus, and maybe, just maybe, you can be the person that helps, that helps tell them about Jesus and how much he loves them. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord, that he did the job that you called him to do, Lord, that he saved us from our sins so that we can have a relationship with you, Lord. We're just so thankful for him and all that he does for us. God, I pray that you would help us to lead people to your son, that you would help us to um, share the good news of Jesus and that he loves us and that he wants a relationship with us. We love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Thanks, Tori, for that. Today's offering is going to support Rustic Hope. Um, This is actually kind of the second time we're able to give to them in this month. For those of you who know that Rustic Hope was our our project for VBS this year, and we, between uh, VBS with the Methodist Church and our community VBS, were able to raise over $3,700 for Rustic Hope during the week of VBS. And so today's offering is going to add to that total of what we're able to give and support them. With recent events in our country, ministries like Rustic Hope and Elizabeth New Life Center, another organization that we support, are going are gonna to be continuing to do very important work. And so we can support them financially, but also through our prayers. We encourage you to be lifting up ministries like them and other churches that are, and as a church, that we can support uh, those that are, that are very much on the front lines of, of that issue. And so today's offering, if you're able and willing to give, is going to support Rustic Hope and the work that they do to help young mothers and children in need. Uh, for our offering this morning, we are going to be singing Amazing Grace together. You may remain seated. And so as the deacons come to collect the offering, I encourage you to open up your hymnals to number 202 and let's sing Amazing Grace together.
invite you to pray with me. Father God, we come before you this day and we are grateful for your amazing grace. Lord God, as as Tori shared with us in, in the children's chat here this morning, you, Lord Jesus, are the one who has come to save us, has come to set us free from our sin and shame, to set us free from the power of death in our lives. And so we praise you because of who you are and what you've done for us. Father God, you are our great provider. You are the one through whom we get, we have everything that we could possibly need. Lord, we may not always get what we want and things may not always work out according to our plan, but we have the full faith and trust that things will work according to your will and your plan. And even when sometimes we can't see it or can't understand it, Lord, we trust that you are always working in our lives and that you, Father God, that you are guiding our steps and that you never leave nor forsake us. Lord God, we gather here today at the a few days removed now from from the Supreme Court decision and, and Lord we as we reminded us as we as we were reminded on our on our group page this week, Lord, we this is a time of prayer, of continued prayer for our nation. And for all those, Lord, um, who are affected by this decision, Lord, we praise you for the unborn lives that will be saved as a result of, of this decision. We also pray for those vulnerable moms and dads in very difficult situations. We pray for wisdom and provision for them. Lord, we pray for our nation who has been very divided and polarized over many issues, including this one. And so, Lord, we pray for peace. We pray for people to have difficult conversations with each other, with their families, with their neighbors. And we pray that much fruit would come of that. And we do continue to pray for our leaders as they lead and guide us well. And, Lord, most importantly, we pray for revival. Lord, no Supreme Court decision or no piece of legislation can, can change the human heart. Only you can do that. You, Lord God, are the only one who can fix the brokenness inside of each one of us. And so we thank you for the gift of your son who died and rose again in order to save us from our sin. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who guides and directs us and helps us to not only understand your word, but also to live it out. And so, Father, we ask that you would change our hearts, transform us from the inside out to value what you value, to care about the things that you care about. And we thank you for churches and other ministries like Rustic Hope and Elizabeth New Life Center who have been and will continue to care for women and children and fathers, Lord, who are in need. And we ask for your continued provision for them and may their work continue to abound Lord we also pray for those in authority over us as your word calls us to do and so we pray for our state leaders in Ohio and across this country Lord who will be continuing to make decisions from this point and on into the future to lead well 
May they make decisions that are for the good of, of the citizens of this land and also, Lord, that promote and, 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 and emphasize the things that you care about as well. May they have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness that they would be filled. And Lord, we also pray for leaders in our own church as well. We thank you for our trustees who who care for our, our church property. And I know they've been putting a lot of work in recently behind the scenes. And we thank you for the care that they provide for this, for this building that, that you have blessed us with. And pray that you would continue to bless them and their stewardship of these resources. Lord, there's so much more we can pray about today. There's so much, Lord, in our own lives and in our community, our nation and our world. And Lord, we know that you are our only hope. And so we ask, Lord, that your will would be done in each and every circumstance. And Lord, we don't say that flippantly. We say that in all truth and honesty and and, in a desire, Lord, to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen you may be seated Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 4 through 14 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do you hear in your hometown what we have heard you heard that you did in Capernaum? Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way.
I invite you to pray with me again. Father God, as we come before you again and, and come before you around your word, we ask for your, your spirit to guide us. Uh, may you give me words to speak uh, that are honoring and pleasing to you, that, that point people to the truth of your word and your gospel. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd also soften the hearts of those that are listening, both here in this room, as well as those on the radio and listening on, and, and watching online. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So two weeks ago, my family and I got a chance to go to St. Louis for a few days. Um, it was a trip that we had longed for for a while. We had looked forward to it. I know I have, being a big St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. Uh, one of my kind of lifelong goals is to is to... Uh, go to watch a Major League Baseball game in, in all 30 Major League Baseball cities. And so I had been to St. Louis's old stadium, but was very much looking forward to watching a baseball game in, in the new Bush Stadium. And, and we had other fun things planned as well. And so we got up early Monday morning and, and headed out, you know, and we had all these, I in my head had all these wonderful expectations of what those few days were going to look like. It was going to be great to get away with family, spend time doing things together, and it was going to be fantastic. Except one problem occurred, and that is not very long after we left New Knoxville, I ended up getting a stomach bug and spent about most of that time away not feeling very good. Um, I won't go into the, the wonderful details, but I came back to Ohio about nine pounds lighter <laughs> than I left. Um, and, and I did not get to do everything that we had planned to do. I did tough it out kind of at, at the, the last couple days we were there and, and kind of forced myself to do some of the things, including watching a baseball game at Bush Stadium. But it was not the trip that I expected, not the relaxing, refreshing vacation that I was hoping to have with my family. You see, expectations are funny things. We, we sometimes get in our head what we expect someone or something to be. And many times those expectations don't pan out. In Scripture, in the Old Testament, there were lots and lots of expectations of who God's Messiah was going to be. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. We're continuing our series here about who Jesus is. Two weeks ago, we kind of introduced this idea of, of the question, who do you say that I am? That's a question that Jesus posed to his disciples. And so it's a question that they needed to answer, but it's also a question that we need to answer for ourselves today. So throughout the summer, we're going to be looking at how we can, based on Scripture, answer the question, who is Jesus to us? Who do we say that Jesus is? And so today we're looking at the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who fulfills all of those expectations that were laid out for us in the Old Testament. And as, we can, as we'll see a little bit here today, he did not exactly fulfill them in the way that the people expected. But unlike ruined plans on vacation, right, and, and the stomach bugs, Jesus fulfilled them in a greater way than the people, than God's people had come to expect. It wasn't anything less. It wasn't the same. It was even greater than their expectations. And so first we need to kind of define what we mean when we talk about Messiah. 
Messiah means anointed one. And we see that in our passage today as Jesus is reading from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue. It says, um, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. That word anointed is, is the same root word as Messiah. You could even maybe, I know this sounds very wooden and in an incorrect translation, but you could say that the Lord had Messiahed him to proclaim the good news. That's what that word means to be anointed. And so Messiah is the Hebrew word that we find throughout the old Testament. Right? So when we think about Jesus Christ or Jesus, the Christ, what we are saying is he is Jesus, the anointed one or the chosen one, you know, Christ isn't his family name, right? He's not Mr. Christ, right? He is, it's a title, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. And so the Messiah was a person of God's choosing who was going to fulfill all of God's promises to his people. And throughout the Old Testament, you see there are many Messiahs, lowercase m, Messiahs, many people who were anointed by God for specific tasks and purposes. You see prophets, you see priests, you see kings. And that word is used to describe any person who is designated by God for a special purpose. But as time went on, as God continued to, to reveal himself and make himself known to his people, they realized that an idea grew that one day God would send the Messiah, the one special person who would bring it all to fulfillment, bring it all to completion. One person, the Messiah, would fulfill every single one of God's promises and usher in God's kingdom. And so throughout the Old Testament, that idea continued to build and build until Jesus came. And, and we see here in Luke chapter 4, he goes to the synagogue as was his custom to do so. Jesus would regularly go to teach in the synagogues. He participated in the regular religious life of his people. There's one other reference of similar wording in Luke's gospel, and that is in Luke 22 when it said that Jesus would often go to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And so, and so it, at both ends of the gospel of Luke, you get this reference to a regular pattern of worship and prayer in Jesus's life. And I can't help but wonder if people would look at our lives and look at the things that we do and the things that we value. Would they say that it was our custom to go to church and worship regularly? Would they say it was our custom to regularly set aside time for prayer and the study of God's word? Jesus made time for those things. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, made time for those things. We should be making time for those things as well. And so as he was there in the synagogue, it says that he read from the scroll of Isaiah. Now, the, the regular pattern of worship at the synagogue would often include, you know, prayer at the beginning and end of the service. And then there were often two readings, one from, from uh, the law that was a set regular cycle, that, that was determined each time the people gathered. And then they would often also read from one of the prophets. And that selection could be chosen by whoever was designated to read that day. So Jesus, as he read from the scroll of Isaiah, he was very intentional about choosing this passage. He picked it for himself and he read those verses in particular. And we know they come from Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. 
in those verses from the Old Testament were very much associated with the hopes and expectations that surrounded the Messiah, that surrounded God's plan for salvation and his plan to redeem his people. As I said, that, that word anointed me is the same root word as Messiah. And we see in Luke's gospel over and over again that Luke describes Jesus as one who was filled with or anointed by the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry. And we see that already in these opening chapters. In chapter 3, it describes the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus at his baptism. It describes Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit as he went in the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy in chapter 4, verse 1. And again, Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit in chapter 4, verse 14. And over and over and over again, that emphasis is, is highlighted for us in Luke's gospel that Jesus is the one filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out the Father's will. And so then Jesus reads from this scroll, and Tori highlighted some of the some of the, the significant parts of that for us during children's chat. These marks of the Messiah, he's going to be the one to, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's chosen and anointed by God for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to proclaim the good news to the poor and the captives, to bring freedom and relief to the oppressed. In other words, to make things right, right? To make God's will happen on earth as it is in heaven. Right, to make the good news of the gospel known to people who desperately need to hear it. And as Tori also alluded to in the children's chat, right, these, these descriptions of physical healing or physical provision were often uh, signs or symbols to what is, God is able to do spiritually for his people as well. Miracles of healing are moments when the kingdom of God is breaking through. And, and that physical healing and provision is important but not the most important thing, right? The most important thing is the, the healing and provision that we receive spiritually through Christ and his role as the Messiah. And, and there's even an example in scripture that helps highlight this point for us. And that is the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And it's found in, in Mark 2. You guys are familiar with the story that there's this man who is paralyzed and Jesus was teaching in a house and and the crowd had gathered around to such a degree that, they, that people couldn't even get anywhere near Jesus. And so these four friends carried their, the par, their paralyzed friend up onto the roof and they dug through the roof and lowered him down on the mat in front of Jesus. And so it's at that point then in front of the whole crowd that Jesus looks at the friends, looks at the man, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Right? The most obvious need he had was, was physical healing, right? That seemed like the obvious thing. But Jesus first tells him that his sins are forgiven, which highlights that, that spiritual healing is more important, more significant than physical healing. But of course, Jesus wasn't done at that point either. In order to demonstrate that he had the authority to forgive sins, in order to demonstrate the importance of spiritual healing and forgiveness, Jesus then tells him to take up his mat, get up, and walk out of there. And that's exactly what he does. You see, physical healing, physical relief, being, prisoners being set free, sight being restored to the blind, those are all good things on a physical level, 
but they are meant to highlight and point what God is able to do for us through Christ on a spiritual level, that he is able to set us free from our sin. And then Jesus wraps up this reading by highlighting that the Messiah comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is an Old Testament concept called the year of Jubilee. Now, in the Old Testament, there, there are these laws that were written out about how every seven years, things were supposed to be reset back to their proper order. And so debts were forgiven and, and land was restored to previous ownership. Servants and slaves were set free. And that happened, every, it was supposed to happen every seven years. But then every set of seven years, so seven times seven, which would be 49. So on the 50th year, there was the year of Jubilee, which was, which was that taken to another degree. Everything was, was supposed to be restored back to its proper order. All debts forgiven, slaves set free, land returned to original family owners, everything restored to its proper order. And it was supposed to be a, a sign or a, a, a standing symbol of God's restorative work in the world, that he is working to restore things to their proper place. And so what Jesus is saying here is that in, the, in Christ, right, as his role as the God's proper order in the world, that he is working to return everything to the way it was meant to be. Now, as he reads this, then he, he rolls the scroll back up and he sits down, right? And, and as if that reading wasn't enough, he then looks at the crowd gathered in the synagogue and he says, you have, this is now being fulfilled in your hearing, now think of how bold Jesus is to say something like that. Imagine if this morning I read from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2 and I just pulled up a seat right here and I sat down and said, yep, I'm doing all of that for you. Right? I, I'm fulfilling that for you on your behalf. Probably wouldn't respond very well, would you? Right? I mean, that's, that's a very bold claim that none of us can fulfill. None of us can live up to that. But Jesus can, right? Because he is the very son of God. He is our sinless savior. And he is the Messiah, the one that God has chosen to reestablish God's proper order. Jesus announces the good news of what God is going to do. And then he claims that he's the one that's going to accomplish it. C.S. Lewis once famously said that, that we all have a decision to make about Jesus. And he leaves us three options, that he's either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. That the things that Jesus did and the things that he claimed, like this passage right here, have to put him in one of those three categories. Either Jesus is lying, and he's a charlatan and a huckster, right? And he's fooled people for, for, for 2,000 years. That's one option. He could be a lunatic. He may have genuinely believed what he said, but, but he has no power or authority to do the things that he said he could do. So if he's not lying, he must be crazy. But the third option is that if Jesus is who he says he is, if he can do the things that he says he can do, then he's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. The only option that's left to us is that he must be Lord that he is the son of God, the Messiah, the one who is going to fulfill all of God's promises. And it's up to us in our own lives to respond accordingly. 
And so the Messiah is God's chosen person to reestablish God's kingdom on earth, to restore God's order and make everything right. And most people assumed, and here's where we're getting back to those unmet expectations. Most people assume that this Messiah figure was going to be a human king. That this human king is going to establish a political empire for Israel's independence. Right? And that's even what the disciples thought. If you were to flip over to Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' resurrection and right before his ascension, the disciples turn to him and say, all right, is now the time that you're going to restore Israel? Basically, they're like, you're going to go and be king now, right? You're going to go and you're going to kick Rome out and you're going to, you're going to set up a political empire with us at the center of it. But Jesus is speaking of something bigger than that. He claims that the passage is now fulfilled in him, but it's not in a political regime because we know that Rome is still in charge. Jesus here is speaking of a heavenly kingdom, one that is established not through military might, but through his sacrificial death. And it's a kingdom that's not just for Israel in one corner of the world, but for the whole world and all who believe in him. That's what Jesus is working towards. There's three things that come from this that I want to highlight for us today. That if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the one he claims to be, it means three things. Well, at least three things for us. One is that as Messiah, all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. That he is our ultimate hope. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. In other words, Paul is saying every promise that God has ever made will be answered, will be fulfilled, and they are fulfilled through Christ. All of salvation history culminates in the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. If you're following along with our reading plan, we've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew 1.1, it starts off with this bold claim that this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then, and then the, the author there goes on to lay out the genealogy to demonstrate for us that Jesus is the culmination of everything God had been doing in the world. And so, yes, he is our hope. We often put hope in other things like money and politics, our spouse or our family, our work, you know, achieving success in the American dream. We put our hope in all those things. We think those things are going to satisfy us, that those things are going to bring us joy and significance. But the reality is that everything apart from Christ is temporary at best. Even the best things in life are temporary. But the one thing that can never fail us is a relationship with Jesus. He can never be taken away. See, the greatest longing of the human heart, whether we realize it or not, is to be reunited with God, to find that Garden of Eden again where God can dwell with his people. St. Augustine once said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And so all of those promises that we see from Scripture, from Genesis on forward, are fulfilled by Jesus, the Messiah. And the three 
biggest promises that, are, that we can point to are the covenants that God has made with his people. And I just want to briefly remind you of what those are. There's the covenant that God made with Abraham, that God would bless all nations on earth through one of Abraham's descendants, that God would provide a, provide a people and a place and a promise for God's people to fulfill. And Jesus is the son of Abraham who fulfills that promise for us. There's the covenant that God made with, all, with Moses on Mount Sinai, that God would bless those who are obedient, were obedient to the law and he would curse those who break the law. And it's in Christ. He is the only one who fulfills the law perfectly for us through his perfect obedience. And he's also the one who fulfills the law through his sacrificial death. There's the covenant that God made with David that God would one day place one of David's descendants on the throne and that that descendant would rule and reign over his kingdom forever. Now, David and all of his children died and, and were buried. But one of David's descendants is alive today and reigns and rules forever. And that is Jesus the Christ. And one day he will come to reestablish his heavenly kingdom here on earth. And so first, as the Messiah, Jesus fulfills all of God's promises for us. And second, we see from this passage that he's also a Messiah for all people. The people who heard Jesus teaching in the synagogue responded with, with disbelief, right? They look at him and say, who is this guy, right? Didn't he just grow up down the road? So they respond with disbelief and they also respond with anger. They try to, try to take him out. Why were they so upset? The reason they were so upset wasn't because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. They were upset because he claimed that his role as Messiah extended beyond the borders of Israel and to all people who would respond by faith. He gives the two examples that he gives are, are Gentiles. They're people that received God's blessing, but they weren't from Israel. People that were thought of as being outside of the covenant promises of God. And what this does is it demonstrates that God's kingdom extends Israel. That Jesus didn't come just to save Israel. He came to save the entire world. Why do the widow, what do the widow and Naaman have in common? Well, if you were to go back and read those stories from the Old Testament, again, they're both Gentiles who received God's blessing, but they did so when they responded in faith and obedience. Peter recognizes this in Acts chapter 10 when he sees the Holy Spirit being poured out on Cornelius and his whole household. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You see, faith is the key. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. We can't rely on our parents' faith or our spouse's faith. We can't rely on tradition. Because each and every person needs to respond to God in faith and receive him as Lord and Savior and Messiah. It also reminds us that we can't judge others based on where they've been or what they look like because no one is outside of God's grace. Again, the key component for all people is faith in Jesus as Messiah and Lord. So we need to be willing to share the gospel with everyone we meet with people that we think, based on our human perspective, might be outside of God's grace because no one is beyond God's saving grace. That's why passages like Romans 10 are important. 
I'm going to read Romans 10, beginning of verse 9. It says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the name of, call on the one who have they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are, are the feet of those who bring good news. In other words, right, Paul's, Paul's reminding us that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, that we need to confess with our mouth and believe with our heart. But people can't do that unless they hear the good news and it's shared with them. And that's a role that we continue to play today. And finally, we see first that Jesus fulfills all of God's promises as Messiah. That he is the Messiah for all people. And finally, we see that the Messiah must be rejected and killed. This story foreshadows what will ultimately happen in Jerusalem. That the Messiah will be rejected and killed by the very people that he came to save. Again, the people expected a Messiah to ride into town with an army and conquer Rome and conquer all of God's enemies with a, in, a, in a political or, or military way. But that's not the way that God works. Instead, it's the cross. It's the cross as the means through which God accomplishes His purposes. What the enemy meant for evil... What seemed like the moment of utter defeat was actually the moment of ultimate victory. Jesus, the Messiah, nailed to the cross, bloodied and beaten. That's how God fulfills his promises to us. God's purposes aren't achieved through political power or military might. They're achieved through the sacrificial death and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of you may ask, I know I've asked at times in my life, you know, we, we want God to work his will in our lives, right? We, we want God to fulfill his promises in, uh, to us. We want God to work in us. Well, the cross is the way that God accomplished his purposes through Christ. And the cross is still the way that God accomplishes his purposes in our lives. Jesus calls us to follow him, and that means following him to the cross. We need to learn to die to ourselves and live for God. If we want to experience God's promises, if we want to see them fulfilled in our own lives, then we need to be willing to let the cross shape our own lives. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul also reminds us in Colossians 3, verse 3, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that God has, has chosen and anointed to save, God's, to save the world, to save us from our sin to reign and rule over God's kingdom forever. 
And if we want to be a part of that, if we want him to be our Messiah, then we need to follow him to the cross. We need to learn to die to ourselves so that we may live for him. As we think about Jesus as a Messiah, the word that keeps coming to my mind is hope, that he is our hope. Everything in this world will ultimately fail us, will ultimately disappoint us. But he and him alone, he will never fail us. He is our hope. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be our Messiah, to to fulfill all of the wonderful promises that you've made to us. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us each to receive him as Lord and Messiah and place our hope in him. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Do you stand with us as we sing our closing song together?
Amen. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. You may go in peace. Amen. Amen.